Jesus certainly knew why he came, didn't he? The people that don't know why he came are the sinners. Jesus knows why he came and what he wanted to do when he came. But the sinner doesn't. From the beginning, man has chosen to run away from the Savior, not towards the Savior. In one way or another, they always find an excuse to get away from him. Take this couple, a very fine couple. They lived in a perfect home. They had perfect neighbors. They lived in a perfect environment. They were perfectly comfortable where they were. They had nothing to be concerned about but one little prohibition. One little thing that they were not to do. One little thing they were told to stay away from. Just one thing that that authority told them to do. And guess what happened? You know it. They couldn't stay away from it. They did it anyway. They were asked by their creator of this perfect environment, where are you? As if he didn't know where they were. You see, up to this point, they had relationship with him. They had conversation with him. They walked with him. They, they were together with him. There was nothing that was between them. The relationship was built on trust. It was built on love. There was affection there. They worshipped him daily, moment by moment. We all know the story. Since the creation of man, men have been hiding themselves from the creator. Not only did Adam and Eve hide themselves from the creator, they noticed that they needed to cover up after they fell in their sin. That's when they became self-aware. They became self-focused. Mankind has a pandemic, folks. That pandemic is called selfishness because we only think of self. We don't think of others. That's what truly kills, and, and that's what those of us who are here are dealing with each and every day. At this initial confrontation after sin, the man blames it on the wife, and the wife blames it on the serpent. Nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. Mankind has been dealing with selfishness ever since. Mankind lives a life that's all about them. They want what they want, and they want it now. That's a person who's not aware of their sin. Do you think if they're not even aware of their sin that they can be aware that they need to repent? In a sense, it becomes impossible, impossible for mankind to realize how much they need repentance. For the natural man, it is impossible to see what their problem really is, that it's them that is the problem. It's not something outside of them. It's not the imperfect environment that we live in. It's not the imperfect spouse that we have, except for me. It's not that imperfect child that God gave us. It's not that imperfect job that we have or that imperfect neighborhood or anything else. The problem is me. 
once we come to realize where the problem lies, then we can see that we have a need, and that need is for repentance. The eyes of men need to be opened. They need to be opened to the fact that they need repentance. They need to be told that they are the problem, and it's not something else. The subject of repentance is one of those subjects that I deal with very often as a pastor of the counseling ministry. Repentance is what brings about salvation. Join with true faith, that brings about salvation. Sometimes the person who comes to the counseling office thinks that they just need to get something tweaked and it'll be a little bit better and, and then they'll be okay. And they don't even realize what they really need is to repent of their sins. They need to turn from their sins. Jesus came to call sinners to repentance. Let's start at the end of the story. Let's start at the end where we see in the book of Revelation where Jesus is calling churches to repent. And so we're going to do this in a little bit of a reverse. We're going to start in the book of Revelation. So if you would open up to Revelation... We're going to put this and divide this into three different parts because it's not something specific. So we're going to be jumping around to various scriptures. The explanation of Jesus' call to repentance comes in these three different periods, if you want to call it, three different parts, if you want to put it that way. And the first one is in the end times. Towards the end, by the way, I happen to be at this moment teaching through the book of Revelation in my Sunday school class, so you're all invited if you want to come. We'll try to squeeze you in. Even to the last book of the Bible, Jesus is still calling folks to repentance. In chapter 1 of Revelation, we see there where John writes this. He says, Blessed, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. There's a warning there that you need to be listening, you need to be reading, you need to be also heeding those things, doing those things. That's what is said at the end, but that's no different today. When Jesus left this planet in Matthew 28, he said, teach them to observe all that I have given you. So we're told over and over again that we need to be in obedience to our Savior. And obviously, we should be reading our scriptures. I love what one of those young men said. I'm reading my Bible more often. I'm studying God's word. I'm praying more often. We ought to be always doing those kinds of things. We need to be heeding what the scriptures happen to say. Jesus then proceeds in chapter 2 of that same book of Revelation to give a message to seven churches. These are seven churches that are in what we would call today modern-day Turkey. It's sort of a circular crescent kind of shape to where those churches are if we were to put a map up. And he's calling those churches to repent. Why would he be doing that? Because those seven churches are representative of the churches that we have today. Those are the churches that he's calling to repent. Not even people that don't call themselves Christians, but people who are in the church. Look at Revelation chapter 2, verse 5 with me. If Ephesus is speaking to the church of Ephesus, and John says this, or Jesus says this, Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent. That's to the church. This is where John, the writer, 
had ministry. He knew those people. He pastored and shepherded those people. And he's calling them to repentance. Jesus goes on and he says this, I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. See, folks, there is a consequence for not repenting. There's a consequence for not doing what Jesus tells you to do. The Jewish nation found that out. The Jewish nation was cast out by him himself in uh, Jeremiah 3.8 where he divorced them because of their adulteries. And he said, they're no longer my children. Gave them a writ of divorce. Look at uh, Revelation 2.16 to the church of Pergamum. He says this, therefore repent or else I am coming to you quickly and I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth. Take care of that as soon as you can. Take care of it now, even. The end of times is nearly here, is what Jesus is saying in the book of Revelation. He goes on, look at uh, 2.21, to the church in Thyatira. He says, I gave her time to repent, and she does not want to repent. And I thought the Irish was stubborn. I can say that because I'm Irish. God then is going to bring judgment, folks. God is going to bring judgment without repentance. Look at chapter 3, verse 3, to the church in Sardis. He says, so remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. This is something that is said over and over and over again here. We can see in Revelation, but it's going to be said in many other places, and you're going to hear them tonight. Revelation 3.19 in Laodicea, he says this, To whom I love, I reprove and discipline, therefore be zealous and repent. Jesus is reproving them because they're lukewarm. They're they're just so-so. They're not really on fire for him. They're not actively doing something about their sin. Beloved, even the end of this dispensation, Jesus is calling the church to repent. He doesn't stop calling the church to repent. Why is the church to repent? That's a very good question. These five churches here are representative of churches today because there's some churches that do need to repent. These churches are are pictures, illustrations of the churches that exist today and have existed for all of church history. Some of these churches do not even have the sense to know that they need repentance. Jesus makes it very clear clear. It's no different today. Jesus is not uh, in a dilemma here, folks. He knows what's going on in the churches. He knows exactly what's going on, and he's calling them to repentance. Why? Because he would, could see and would see that they're not heeding what he has to say. Some of these folks are still walking in the broad path to destruction that are in the church. That's why he's saying you need to repent. There are some churches that are in the broad path to destruction. Because there's some churches that don't even preach about sin. So if you don't preach about sin, how can you preach about repentance? Which Jesus was sent to preach about. Even in the last chapter of the book of Revelation 
Revelation chapter 22, verse 7. Jesus says this, I am coming quickly. I am coming quickly. Now, yes, it's been 2,000 years or so, but in um, biblical thinking, you know, where Peter speaks about it, it says if a 1,000 years is as uh, a second, so it's only a couple of minutes here. I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of this prophecy of this book. Friend, we need to hear the words. We need to heed the words and we need to worship the king. That's part one. I just wanted to set the end for you so you can see what's to be expected at the end. But here's part two, the beginning of Jesus's ministry on earth. We need to go back to the beginning. We need to start in Matthew chapter four so that you can see what was said there. When we go back to the Gospels, where Jesus, the incarnate Son of God, the Messiah, came to earth, came to redeem his people. What does Jesus do? He calls for repentance. So turn to Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. And we see there, from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent, for the kingdom of of heaven is at hand. It's coming. It's right around the corner, folks. It's sooner today than it was 2,000 years ago, for sure. And it's sooner today than it was yesterday. Even before Jesus, the forerunner, John the Baptist, was also preaching that same message. And I just want to take you back one chapter to Matthew chapter 3. And we see in verses 1 and 2, where he also is calling for repentance, says, Now in the days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Here is the man that was a forerunner uh, announcing that the Savior was coming. The the one who said, I am not worthy enough to untie his sandal or to tie his sandal. He's he's unworthy to come anywhere near Jesus. But the time to repent is now. This is a call to salvation. This is an incredible, incomprehensible gift of God. Because of the work of Jesus Christ, you respond, you give faith. And he gives you faith and you have new life. Yet in that response, there is a wholesale desire to forsake the sin. Folks, I sit in my office sometimes, and I wonder why somebody has to keep coming back week after week after week after week after week after week, doing the same thing. It's as if they are controlled by their sin and not controlled by their Savior. It's as if they love that sin more than they love their God. They're dominated by it. And I begin to pray for their salvation. I begin to think, where are they with the Lord? I know there are some folks here today that are wondering, are they truly saved, truly repented? Why, how do I know that? Because I have people in my office that ask me, Pastor, do you think that I'm saved? Folks, repentance is critical. It's critical to saving faith. It's an absolute 
necessary component to saving faith. You must turn from your sin. That sin which has enslaved you for however many years it's had a hold on you, you need to turn from it. You need to give it away or send it away. Your heart and mind need to be turned from it. One time in counseling, I told somebody that they needed to check their fruit. And he said, well, what kind of fruit are you talking about? And so I went to Galatians 5. There are nine fruit there. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And, and, and I said, so in your life, in your marriage, do you have these particular fruit? Astonishingly, I got nine no's that it was not in his life. I, I was a little bit shocked by that. Well, maybe he's being a humble man. So I went a few verses ahead of that, and I, I said, do you have these things in your life? And, you know, if you had the deeds of the flesh there two or three verses before that. And he said, yes, 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 yes. And Galatians says this, those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I didn't write that. Paul the apostle wrote that. And I, and I said that to him, I said, how much practice do you think is necessary? I got to tell you, folks, I'm running from that. I don't want to be anywhere near that line of, of whether it's 5% of the time, 15% of the time. I know what it is. It's 51% of the time. No, you want to run from that. You want to run fast. You want to run often. You want to run every day away from that. So I brought that to his attention Because it says, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. And I said, so where are you? And he looks at me and he says, Bill, all you are is a fruit picker. I I sat there for a little while, a little bit stunned by that. And I wondered, you know what? This morning I had my devotions in John 15. And John 15 says that by Jesus saying this, Jesus says, and you shall know them by their fruit. And I said that to him. Jesus says he'll know you by your fruit. Matter of fact, why don't we turn there just for a little bit, John 15. I think this is so important. Because if you're going to call for repentance, what are you calling repentance to? And it says in John 15, it says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. This is verse 1. Verse 2, every branch that is in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it will bear more fruit. You're already clean because of the word which I have spoken. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. That means being attached to Jesus, having repented of their sins. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. And he who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We're getting there. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. And so I went there and I I showed him this. I said, friend, this is my fear for you. You need to repent of your sin. You need to repent of your indolence in your marriage and 
and not taking care of the things that you need to be taking care of and, and not loving your wife as Christ loved the church and all of those kinds of things. Friends, he was a churchgoer. Friends, he was a member of the church. Friends, he was participating in a fellowship group. And believe it or not, he even came on Sunday evening. So none of that makes you okay, so to speak, unless you truly have repented. Let's go back to Mark, or go to Mark, chapter 1. We see what happens there with Jesus in his ministry of uh, calling people to repentance, that that's why he came. And in Mark, the Gospel of Mark in chapter 1, in verse 14 and 15, it says this. Now, after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel. What is the gospel? He's saying it right here. And it says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's what's supposed to happen. Repent. We're going to tell you all that that means in a little while. But notice something here. There's a dual means by which one enters the kingdom of heaven. Repent and believe the gospel. You can't one day say you repent and then don't believe the gospel. That's not repentance. That's still living life your way. The selfish way. You cannot have one without the other. They are necessary for true and lasting relationship with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You see, repentance is a grace. It's a grace that is under the gospel that Jesus Christ gives to you. And we're going to look at that in a little while as well. But let's look some more at the gospel of Mark. Jesus is going to send his disciples out, his apostles out. And what is he going to do in sending them out? He's going to tell them that they are to go out and call others to repentance. So turn with me to Mark chapter 6. And in Mark chapter 6, verse 7, the sending of the twelve, and it says this, And he summoned the twelve and began to send them out in pairs and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. And he instructed them that they should take nothing for their journey except a mere staff, no bread, no bag, no money no, in their belt, but to wear sandals and, he added, do not put on two tunics. There's obviously reasons for this. We're not going to get into all of that. And he said to them, when Wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave town. Any place that does not receive you or listen to you, as you go out from there, shake the dust off the soles of your feet for a testimony against them. And then verse 12, they went out and preached that men should repent. That's the call that we have for each of us. I don't want to just have my friends come to church and sit around in the church and even get to know other people if they truly haven't repented. That doesn't do them any good. That doesn't do the body of Christ any good. A person that comes to church should have repented. They should be worshiping here because they love the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You see, the necessity of the gospel is that you preach repentance. 
That's the necessity. If there is a church that does not preach against sin, it is a church that does not preach the whole gospel. And I know churches like that. At least I've heard of churches like that. I've heard of pastors who say they don't want to use the word sin. How horrible that would you use a word like that? They're under the revelation warning from Jesus. They're one of the churches that are going to have him come and cast them out. That's what's going to happen to them. You see, when you have saving faith belief in the gospel, it will cause you to grow. It will say to you, I want to grow. There's nothing else I want. I want to grow. I want to know Christ fully, completely, thoroughly. I want to grow in my sanctification. Now, Tom was mentioning I'm here for 30 plus years, and it is. As soon as I got saved, I just couldn't wait to get to know Christ more and more and more and more and more. Thomas Watson said this, the word preached is the engine that God causes to affect repentance. Jesus is the God in the gospel of Luke takes this opportunity, don't need to turn there just yet, takes this opportunity to tell us straight up why he came. In in Luke 5, 32, he says, I have not come to call the righteous, but to call sinners to repentance. To call sinners to repentance. As I mentioned, I do lots of counseling around here. I suspect that there is never an innocent party that ever comes into my office because I know I'm not innocent, that I have the grace of God working in my life as well as they do in theirs. But in whatever situation it is, I want them to take responsibility for it, to know where they have sinned. And when a sinner calls another sinner to repentance, it's nothing like Jesus calling us to repentance because he's the sinless one. Beloved, I hope you realize you're a sinner. You must recognize yourself as a sinner because that's the first step to even getting saved. You need to realize that you're separated from God. If you think you're a good person and you only make a few mistakes, you are profoundly lost. You are profoundly lost. You must have a recognition of that sin. And that means not relabeling the sin either. We can't call it a mistake. It's not a mistake. You did it. You can't call it a disease if it has nothing to do with biology. You can't say that. You can't blame shift as Adam and Eve were teaching us in the garden. It's my wife who made me do it. It's my husband who made me do it. It's my kids who make me do it. That is truly pathetic. Take responsibility. Take responsibility. There must be a hatred for your sin. There must be a desire to rid yourself of that sin. There must be a turning from that sin. Jesus said this in the book of Matthew. Turn there, Matthew chapter 5. And he's going through the Sermon on the Mount, the best sermon that's ever been preached. Sorry, Pastor John, but this is the best one ever preached. 
And Jesus said this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You see, this call by Jesus here is telling him the person's blessed if they recognize, not that they are depressed. No, it has nothing to do with that. But they recognize their spiritual bankruptcy. They recognize their spiritual bankruptcy. The sinner realizes they deserve nothing. And that God, by his grace, has given us everything. Everything. Friends, you must realize your need for a Savior and repent. The true convert deals with the sin they know has placed their Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, on the cross. And they take care of that sin. They don't keep playing with that sin. He or she does not want to entertain that sin. They want to kill that sin. As a disciple of Jesus Christ, you proclaim repentance and forgiveness of sins in the name and because of the person of Jesus Christ. That's what repentance is. Repentance means a turning. It's a real forsaking of the sin. It is a turning from sin and embracing of Jesus Christ as Savior. Our ministry, beloved, the preaching of the word here, is no different today. That's what our pastor does. He, he calls us to repentance. He calls us to come follow Jesus. But there needs to be a forsaking of what we're doing in our life, the sin in our life. As a matter of fact, tell your relatives when they came over from the Christmas celebration that the real celebration, the true celebration, the real reason for the holiday is that Jesus didn't come to bring Christmas presents. He came to bring repentance. Repentance from their sins, and that's the greatest Christmas present you could ever have. The greatest Christmas present you could ever have. Jesus is calling them to holiness. This message in the life of the perfect, sinless God-man, Jesus Christ, is different than what our message is because we are walking in sin at times and we're calling others to repentance they may be uh, that we're forgiven of that sin but he was perfect and i want you to understand that the word repent means to change one's mind the thing that you loved and you worshiped that was sinful you now realize what it is and you want to change your mind about it it's not only a comprehending of the sin. It's not only realizing of the sin, but it's turning from that sin because you realize that sin put Jesus Christ on the cross. And so it's a turning. It's a 180 degree reversal. I'm not going to do that today. Those things that were your choices, your focus, your proclivities, your aspirations, your desires, your wants, were in one direction, and now with that gift of faith that God gives you, you turn in the other direction. That's what repentance does. He takes the undeserving dead sinner, and he makes you alive. As a matter of fact, why don't we go there and and look at that? In Ephesians chapter 2, 
heard Jay say that in the baptisms tonight. That's what's happening here. How can you call a dead person to be alive? That sounds impossible. But let's look at Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 1, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Sin is so part of a fabric of men and women that apart from the work of God, they cannot repent. It's every warp and fiber of their being is sin because they only think about themselves. You were dead, not mostly dead. You were dead all the way. And in verse 4, that Jay was talking about earlier, it says, but God, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. That's a miracle to take something dead and make it alive. Beloved, Jesus was sent to take away your sins so the creator could even look upon you. He did the work. He supplied the grace. He supplied the righteousness that's needed in a relationship with the creator God. Luke 13, 5 says this, I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Repentance is a turning from sin. It's an embracing of Jesus Christ. Folks, if this has not happened, you haven't gotten saved. If you're still playing with that sin and you're still doing the things of that sin on a regular basis, you have not come to Christ. You may have been Christianized. And I believe there are a lot of people in the church that are Christianized. I believe the church is full of people that have been Christianized, but they are not saved. They go to church. They have friends at church. They may even come when the weather is bad. But in their heart of hearts, repentance, true repentance, has not occurred. Now, when Jesus says, cut off your hands, pluck out your eye, and cut off your foot, if that causes you to sin, that's pretty serious. Now, I know he doesn't mean to do that literally, but he's wanting us to see how serious sin is. Repentance is absolutely necessary component of salvation. That is what Jesus came to do. Not just make you better. That's not what he came for but to make you best. This is where a person goes from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. If you switch, it is turned on. That's what happens when you have truly repented. The question is, like I said to that man before, where is your fruit? Do you see that fruit in your life? Do you actually see a converted heart That Jesus loves. He came to save the lost. If true repentance and coming to Christ for salvation, there must be a true understanding of our sin in relation to Christ. What that sin has done in putting him on the cross. 
The Greek word for repentance is metanoia, which means a change of mind. My thinking changes. Change of mind about sin, a change of mind about the Savior, a change of mind about the Bible, a change of mind about God. This repentance means you will be changing your mind into conformity to God's standard. It's not just a mistake anymore. It's not just a little lie. What do they call them, white lies? No, it's a lie. Just because you are sorry for your sin does not constitute true repentance. There are lots of things you can be sorry for, but there is to be a genuine turning to the Savior, Jesus Christ, an ongoing and growing relationship. Now, the last act of this dispensation is for Jesus to call churches to repentance. The first act of this Time was the earthly ministry was to call people to repentance. Now, the third part or the third period of this trilogy is the last act of Jesus Christ's ministry, earthly ministry. Turn with me to Luke chapter 24. Luke 24, verse 46. Luke 24, 46, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ, Messiah, would suffer and rise again from the dead, rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. This is where they're being sent out. The apostles are being sent out to call people to repentance. Do you know what it got them? Those 11 apostles went out calling people to repentance. 11 of them got killed, martyred. John on Patmos, not quite. But could you imagine? That's what they went out to. That's the call of Jesus on his disciples, to bring the message. The message is repent to the world. Beloved, the gospel of salvation is a picture of the most gracious and merciful God. It's incredible what he's done for us. His life, a perfect life for imperfect people. We need his righteousness, and unless we repent, we don't receive that righteousness. For a moment, would you turn with me to Romans chapter 5? I just want to talk about his righteousness. Romans 5, starting in verse 17. For if by the transgression of the one death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace. You hear that? The abundance of grace that we've received. And of the gift of righteousness will reign in the one and through the one, Jesus Christ. That's the gift we've received if we truly repented. Verse 18, so then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. Verse 19, for as through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one the many will be made righteous. Folks, you want to be righteous, you need to 
repent. You need to repent. Praise God that he came, that he's given us salvation, free salvation. But we have to repent. There's one last thing, or maybe two last things. Turn to Matthew chapter 7. I know this is not at the end of his ministry, but it's at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And this is something that's been on my heart. I have preached through the Sermon on the Mount. And it's something that we need to think about each and every day. It's something that we need to take to the Lord each and every day. But in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, this is not to scare you, folks. This is to make you get on your knees and speak to the Lord. See what he has to say to you. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Look at all those great works, the confidence they have in those works. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. How can this happen? Look at the things that they did. Prophesy. They were preaching. Casting out demons. Doing works of all different kinds. I never knew you. Verse 22, it says there, on that day. That's speaking of the ultimate judgment. That's the judgment at the end of time. There is nothing to hang one's hat on because you've done works. Works do not get you to heaven. Works cannot save you. You have one and only one way of salvation. Have you repented of your sins? Have you turned from your sin? Have you trusted in Jesus Christ? And Jesus Christ only. The unbeliever in this passage thinks they're saved. They think they're going to heaven. Is it because they don't have enough theology? Well, they know the lordship of Jesus Christ. They call him Lord, Lord. So they have theology. Is it because they went to Grace Community Church or any other church? No. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter. They may know about the Lord. They may even do things around the church. They may even have friends in the church. But they do not know the Lord in repentance of their sin. You see this little phrase here, starting in verse 21, and it says, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Folks, that's what Jesus came to tell us. He gave us the secret of getting to heaven. He gave us his self in his life, in his death, and he calls us to repent. Repent. What is the Father's will? The Father sent the Son 
to declare that we must repent. But instead, this person here hears, I never knew you, depart from me, you practice lawlessness. Now, back to the book of Revelation, because I see I have a little bit more time. We do have right hand of fellowship tonight. I'll just read the names faster. Revelation number, chapter 1, verse 5. Revelation 5, 1. I'm sorry, 1-5, Revelation 1-5. And it says there, it's towards the end, and it says, to him who loves us. To him who loves us. I said this this morning in my Sunday school class, and, and it was hard to get past that. You see, to him who loves us is in the present tense. It means he loves us now and he's going to continue to love us. He's not going to stop loving us. That's with repentance and faith. You see, the person being rejected in Matthew by God may profess his allegiance to the king of creation. But that allegiance is only the lips moving. It's not the life following It's just the lips moving. They're not in solidarity with the Messiah. They deny him in their thoughts, their words, and their actions. And again, they may be attending church. They may be making friends here at church. They may be liking the music, which was beautiful tonight. But friends, you do not want to receive the answer of dismissal, of total rejection. Jesus, from the end of the age in Revelation to the beginning of his ministry, sending his apostles out, all of those things was to call people to repentance. I don't know, probably but 10% of you, maybe 20%. But for some of you others, there may be a need to actually come to faith in Jesus Christ. Don't let another night go by. Don't let another situation go by. Come to our prayer room. It'll be open. There'll be counselors there. Talk with them. And if you want, come see me. I'm here five days a week. Call, make an appointment, whatever. We can talk through it. Look at things. See what God's word has to say about your situation. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for tonight, Lord. Thank you for this opportunity to speak the words of Jesus Christ and calling people to repentance. I pray for these folks out here. I pray that they truly are repentant and that they would understand that when they are repentant, turning from their sin, that they are saved. This is not a message to make them unsure of their salvation. It's a a message to make them sure of their salvation because they have truly turned from their sin. Dear God, give us all the hearts of turning from sin and worshiping ourselves to worshiping the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so I pray this for those who are here tonight, for those who are listening. I pray, dear God, that you continue to work in each of our lives. In your name, amen.